it's for it's for high school students and they just kind of walk through the story of God and the gospel and Jesus and the cross and all that kind of stuff and just kind of present it as one big story throughout the whole week um, and then uh, mixed in that week is all of these crazy fun activities um, I, I seriously some of the best weeks of my life have been at young life camps and I remember years this is years ago um, I was at one camp and that year in particular, I had a group of, of like a cabin of guys, a bunch of guys in my cabin that um, actually didn't have much faith at all. Um, it was kind of a mix, but most of the guys didn't have any faith and they were kind of skeptical about things. Um, one of those guys, we'll call, we'll call him Aaron, was there with me. And he and I, he and I actually still talk to this day and, and, and have great conversations about spiritual, philosophical things. And, uh, but he, at this time, he's in high school, and, and Aaron's in, at this camp, and there's another guy, we'll call him John, that was at the camp, and at, um, they had this, this moment, like, at the end of one of the talks, or one of the clubs, where they send everybody outside, and if you've been to, a few of you have been to Young Life Camp, you've experienced this, it's really cool, it's called 15 Minutes of Silence. And you go out underneath the stars and just kind of listen. You just kind of, like, like just kind of this, this still time to think about what we've been talking about. Think, you know, if you want to pray, you can pray. And um, um, so we did that 15 minutes of silence. It's always just kind of, at kind of like the pinnacle of the week as well as just this pinnacle experience. Like, why don't we just, 15 minutes, in fact, do this. If you want a great experience, go out tonight when it's like 20 degrees, put on a coat, and just stand underneath the stars and just, just like, get alone and just be quiet. And uh, you will have a great experience uh, no matter what. It's just it's a good thing to do. So we did that experience, and I came back from it. And I noticed John was, like, really, really excited about something. And, and so I was like, John, wh you know, what happened? Like, like, you had this, you know, like, it seems like you're excited about something. And he's like, Josh, I was sitting there, and I was, I was just kind of praying. And I'm like, God... If you're real, just just give me a sign. And and he's like, right as I prayed that, this shooting star shot across the sky, and it, he was like blown away. Like he's, it just he's like it, it, that just built my faith so much. And I was standing next to to my buddy Aaron, at, and I was just kind of like listening to John, but also thinking about Aaron and like what he thought of that. And Aaron and I went were an hour or two later, we're together. And uh, it came up, John's experience came up, and, and uh, Aaron made this comment. He's like, where's my shooting star? You know, why, why don't I get a shooting star? And, and guys, I don't know if this is insensitive. I actually started laughing. Because I know Aaron, and I, and I know that, like, I said, Aaron, I was like, you don't want a shooting star. And Aaron kind of, like, I called his bluff, and he, start, he cracked as well. He started laughing. He's like, you're right. That wouldn't be enough. That wouldn't be enough for me to believe if I just saw a shooting star in the sky. Isn't that interesting? And, uh, it, you know, something that happened that truly built one person's faith, and yet if the same thing happened to a different person, that wouldn't build their faith at all. What is that? You know? Is there, is there two types of people in the world, you know, that, that there's people that just get faith, you know, that, that just under, like, that, that have a tendency to believe in God easier than others? 
And then there's other people who are just more, let's call them, maybe more skeptical. And, and what is that? Like, is, is there, maybe you've wrestled with this yourself of like, I wish, it, it maybe, maybe you've even thought these kind of things before, said them out loud. And when you're looking at people who believe and have faith, you're like, I wish I could be more like them, but I just can't because I'm fill in the blank. I'm more of a realist. I need to see more. I'm a skeptic. I'm a whatever. Like, I just, I can't get there. Maybe that's you. If that's you, you pick a great day to be at church. Is there two types of, is there two types of people out there? You know, just people who are more prone to faith and belief in God and people who aren't? And if so, if so just a quick question, which side of the equation do you find yourself on? You know, I guess we're in church, so maybe many of us would say, you know, oh, I'm, I'm on the faith side. But here's the thing. Here's what I've learned about doing church work for a long time and having conversations with a lot of people. In a room like this, we might be split down the middle. Like, honestly, like, even though we're in church, we're talking about God and, like, you, you chose to come. You know, maybe someone dragged you, but you probably chose to come here. Just because we're in church doesn't mean that half of us might say, I, I don't know. I, 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 sometimes I have doubts, I, you know, where you're like, I would like to have more evidence, but the reality is if you saw a shooting star, that might not be enough. You want more. What is that in us? We're in the series over Christmas, as we get ready for Christmas, where we're kind of talking about, like, what grows faith? What actually grows faith? And we asked this question on the very first uh, Sunday a couple weeks ago, and I, I like it. I keep coming back to it. It's this. At, at this point in time, what would grow your faith or belief in God the most? At this point in time in your life, given your stage of life, where you're at, what's happened to you recently, the good things, the bad things, whatever it is, at this point in time, what would grow your faith or belief in God the most? And what was cool is I actually handed you guys cards a couple weeks ago, and you filled them out and gave them to me as a Christmas gift. Thank you. I need to write you all notes like my mom would have me do. Um, and I loved your responses. Your responses had a lot to do with if I could, uh, what would grow my faith the most would be someone that I love, my friend, my family members, someone who's dear or close to me, watching them come to faith. That would help me a lot. Uh, some of you guys wrote something like, "Just I, I want something personable, something, something undeniable, something really meaningful that I know is from God that I can hang on to. That, you know, that would, uh, some, someone wrote, like, that would change me. I thought that was interesting. And then a lot of you guys wrote just simple things like proof, evidence. And, and, and one, one, one person just said more, period. And I felt like that kind of summarized what uh, maybe all of us in different sides of, uh, in different parts of our journey of faith, all of us were kind of longing for is just a little bit more. If I could just have something more, that if I, God could do something more that I can kind of just grab onto, that would be great. I love that. I think, I think that's a good thing to want more. But it also raises the question, why doesn't God do more? And that's the question that we entertained last week was, why not more miracles? Like, if, if God is the creator of the universe, like, literally, I'm looking outside and looking at what he created. It's remarkable. And if God is real, he's obviously very powerful. 
Why doesn't he just make that known? Why doesn't he just do things every once in a while that just dispel all of our doubts um, so that we could believe more? And, and we kind of looked at it last week. It's like, hey, maybe, it, it, and I kind of helped us to see, maybe it's not as simple as we think. And we use this C.S. Lewis quote. I've got a little bit of it. It was a big, long quote. Uh, I've got just one sentence of it where he makes the point, what we learn from experience depends on the kind of philosophy we bring to the experience. That when it comes to the miraculous, when it comes to seeing God doing something like, God, why don't you just do more? Why don't you give me more evidence of what you, you know, of yourself so that I can believe? The reality is, is yes, maybe we do need evidence. Maybe evidence would grow our faith tons, maybe like something big, you know, a shooting star, God writing, maybe something more writing something in the sky, a voice, an angel, you know, something where we can just say, that's real. Maybe that would grow our faith, but here's the other problem is maybe it wouldn't. And the reason it wouldn't, might not, is because it's not just about evidence. It's about, it's about what our philosophy we bring to the evidence. I know this is kind of philosophical, but it's, it's important. You guys were totally hanging with me last week, so I'm gonna, I just wanted to revisit this because I think it's important to learn. When it comes to miracles and miraculous things, it's not just about the evidence. We said it this way. It's also about our openness to the evidence, or to just quote C.S. Lewis, what we learn from experience depends on the kind of philosophy, the kind of person we are coming to that experience, meaning that if God were to like blow the, the heavens open and do something, there's still going to be some of us that are just like, I don't know, I'm not buying it. And then there's other of us that will hit our knees and be like, God, you're real. What is that? Is there two different kinds of people? I, I say no. I don't think there's two different kinds of people in life. I think there's some of us that are more open to what God actually is doing. Because as believers, we actually, we, uh, this might be hard to believe if you're not a believer. But we believe what we believe because there's evidence for it. I've talked, you know, I have a good conversation with a buddy of mine who's an atheist, pretty strong atheist. And, and he, you know, we kind of debate, like, he's like, I have no proof. I can't see God, you know, like there's, there, like, and, I, and he, he prides himself on, this, if, if it's not in the natural world, if I can't sense it with my, my sight, my hearing, my, my, my smell, whatever, you know, like, if I can't smell God, he must not be real, you know, if I, it, just something, anything, and he would say, I'm open to it, you know, if God would, would do, if he would make it undeniable, yeah, then I believe in God, he even told me the other day, he's like, it might be kind of nice, but the reality is, is it has to be on his terms. If it's not on his terms, if it's not something he can see, you know, whatever, then he's not going to believe it. And the reality is, is our philosophy, our way of thinking, our frame of mind, our point of view, plays a role in how open we're going to be to God. It makes sense. You know, the way we grew up, if our parents talked disparagingly about God and like oh, people who you know, believe in God, that's crazy, you know, they're, they're crazy, that's going to, that, that informs our experience, that, that, that informs our philosophy, which we bring to experience. And so what we found out last week is, is we, like when it comes to evidence and, and miracles and that kind of stuff, it's not just the miracles, it's also our openness, not just the evidence. We need to also have an openness to receive what it is. 
I asked you this question last week. If God did a miracle, would, we, would you allow yourself to believe it? It's an interesting question. Like we think a lot about, oh, I'd love to see. Why doesn't God do more? But the reality is, is if God actually did something supernatural, would you even have a category to register it? And here's the reason I, I have doubts that we might not have a category for it is, is when, you given, when you open the Bible, given the amount of miraculous things that happen in the Bible, you would think that every single person that's in the Bible would, ha- would believe. If it's just about evidence, that we would have, like, it would just be a book of believers. That's all it would be. In fact, if you don't know much about the Bible, you need to know something. The Bible is not about a book about believers. That's one of the things I like most about the Bible, is that it has a ton of unbelief. Disbelief, lots of people doubting in the midst of God doing some pretty crazy stuff, which begs the question, if God did some pretty crazy stuff, would we believe it? Or would we be like Israel in the desert, wandering around, and God's literally a pillar of smoke during the day, a pillar of fire at night, and they're like, God's not with us. And you're like, see, that's the kind of stuff I want. I love to see just a pillar of fire just going before. I don't, dude, I, the more, the older I get, I don't want that. That would freak me out. <laughs> Let's be honest. We would look for some natural explanation of things, and we would be like, God, I still need more. It's possible. But that's the thing. If God did a miracle, would we allow ourselves to actually believe it, to see it, to accept it? It's a good question to think about. Are you the type of person that's open to that? Many are asking for evidence. Only some of them are open when it happens. That's what we learn through the Bible. What's the difference? And that's what I want to talk about today, is what's the difference between somebody who comes, you know, like who, who, somebody who ends up with faith and somebody who doesn't? I just, I want to do this. <laughs> we have to, like, like, I want to put that list of, of people. This, this is the New Testament list, and this is just my list. This is not an exhaustive list. This is a list of order, in an order of appearance of people. It, it, here's, what, here's what's crazy about the New Testament. When Je- the New Testament is basically when it starts with Jesus' birth. It starts with Christmas, okay? When you open the, the New Testament, every single person in the New Testament, has a moment where they say to themselves, that can't be right. Every single person that you read about in the New Testament, it, the, these are, and these are the people who come out the other side with faith. These are the people who, you could argue, like, like built the Christian faith. Made, like, like they were the founders of the Christian faith. Every single one of those people had a moment in time that said, uh-uh, that can't be right. When they were faced with the incarnation, everybody say incarnation. Incarnation is, is, is God coming to be with us. God becoming flesh. God in a bod. Every single person that came face to face with Jesus at some point in time, it came face to face with Jesus and, and Jesus was saying, I was the, I'm the Messiah. Or people were saying, he's the Messiah. Or they're saying, this is a guy from God. Or Jesus was saying, I am the son of God. Every single person who came face to face with him and the reality that he thinks he's the son of God said, that can't be right. If he's the son of God, 
I think he should be doing this. If he's the son of God, or like, why is he asking me this? Why, why, why isn't he doing more? And isn't that important to recognize? Every single person of faith in the New Testament at some point in time said, this, can't, this doesn't fit. Uh, Zechariah, very first one, he's like, this angel comes to him. In the temple, I'm going to talk about this next week. In fact, I'm not going to talk about this a lot because I'm going to, I want to, I want to preach on this next week in, on Christmas Eve. But Zechariah is like, you're going to have a kid. This angel's like, you're going to have a kid. He's like, how can this be? And he's like, oh, my God, I'm an angel. You know, like, uh, don't worry about it. It's, you know, uh, Mary, Mary, same thing. You're going to have a kid. And she's like, how can this be? I, I haven't done something, you know. Like, it, it, it must be, you must have the wrong address, you know. But, and like, like, that can't be. How can this be? Peter, Peter is like, you know, Jesus' right-hand man or trying so hard to be Jesus' right-hand man. And at one point in time, Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Like, like, you, 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 like Peter's like, that can't be. Jesus, quit talking about dying. We want to talk about your life and what you're going to do for, the, for, for uh, Israel and the powerful things. And, and, and Peter's like, no, that can't be. And he's like, no, you have to stop. Get behind me, Satan. The Pharisees. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, show us, prove us. Who, how can, how, what, what signs can you give us to back up all these things that you're saying? And he's like, dude, haven't you saw this guy right here, that he was blind? That girl over here, she was demon-possessed. See those 5,000 people over there? I fed them out of nothing. You guys were there. You ate some of it. Well, I, I don't know. I, I need more. What sign can you give us? It, Every single, you see this? Every single person was like, this isn't right at some point in time, especially at the cross. On that Friday, when the Son of God, the Messiah, the board above his head said, the King of the Jews is dying on a cross. They're like, yep, that's not God incarnate. And then on Saturday, Saturday was the time where there were zero Christians, or better yet, zero Christ followers, zero people who believed, you know, like, like that, even Jesus couldn't be one. He was dead. He was gone. There were zero people. Everybody doubted that th that must not be right. I don't know what they, they, they had to be one of the most confusing days ever. They're like, we saw him do crazy stuff, and now he's dead. And then Sunday comes, and he raises from the dead. And what's so crazy about it, if you know the Bible, if you know the scriptures, and you know what happened in the New Testament, it wasn't like everybody was like, woohoo! It was like, so three or you know, a couple women go, and they were the first ones to see Jesus. And they come back to the disciples, and they're like, he's alive! And the disciples are like, uh-huh, Sure. You guys okay? And they like walked up to him and like felt their forehead like, hey, Mary, you've been getting some sleep lately? You know, that grieving thing, we grieve in different ways, but you know what I mean? And they doubted hard even after. And, and then they did, like another disciple, Thomas, Thomas was like, I need to put my hand in the hole that's in his side. Because remember, guys, they, they speared him before they took him off the cross. Don't you remember that? He's gone. And then Jesus appeared to Thomas, and he was actually, and Jesus was like, here you go. 
you, you want to put your fingers in the holes that were in my hands that held me on the cross? Here you go. Every single person doubted or had a moment where like, this isn't right. Paul, Paul is persecuting the Christians because he's like, this isn't right. He wasn't the Messiah. And then Jesus has to knock him off of his horse, his high horse. And even Paul at that that moment, he's like, who are you? And he's like, Jesus is like, are you kidding? It's me, you know? It's me who you're persecuting. James, the brother of Jesus, is maybe my favorite on this list. Because he's nowhere to be found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know why? Because it was his brother. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he's the son of God? You're like, I, you, I, I remember you running around in diapers. I remember, you know, like, I remember a lot of things about you that like, you were human, not the son of God. And, but after the resurrection, all of a sudden James, the brother of Jesus, not just a believer, he's like, no, this guy's for real and I, I, will, I will lead this. Every single person of faith in the New Testament we can read about their great feats and their great, oh my gosh, they're so strong and so, uh, you know, so, so confident. But it wasn't always that way. So what is that? What allows somebody to come out the other side of doubt and actually have faith? And here's what I propose today. That people of faith, and this is, this is the people that you look up to of faith that maybe you're like, I wish I had faith like them. It, it, that, I mean, that extends to what I just said about the New Testament people, extends to today. Every single person of faith today, it has, they, they have doubts. They have questions. They had and have questions. And somehow they were able to come out the other side with faith, faith that changed their lives in a way that you respect them potentially. What is that? And here's what, I, here's what I'm going to propose today. People of faith have figured out a way to balance something. Everybody say the word balance. This is what's important today when it comes to faith. If, you, if, you, if you're a person that would maybe be open to the idea of having strong faith in God, it won't happen. But, but you have doubts. You have questions. We just learned questions do not disqualify you, Right? Like, 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 that was very clear. The people of faith had lots of doubts and lots of questions, and they were somehow able to come onto the other side of that with faith. So doubts don't disqualify. But every person of faith, what I want us to see today is every person of faith is able to balance something in life. And, and, and here's, here's what I mean by that. I want to look at a verse out of Matthew. The pro- here's part of the problem with, with, with Jesus is he was so caring and so loving and so kind, we oftentimes think he was soft, right? Like, like, like it's easy to think like he was just, you know, that, that it was it, like faith is just kind of this wishy-washy, be nice to another, you know, like, like uh, I was at a middle school the other day and it's just like there's signs that say be kind everywhere, you know? Kindness is the, 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 what was the other thing that I read? What was it in the gymnasium the other day? Like, I don't know, be good. It was just so sappy. And I'm like, no one's reading this, you know? But I, I think 
if, especially if you're outside of faith and you're not quite sure what you believe or you have this idea of Christians that were soft or like they were soft-hearted and maybe even soft-minded, that part of the reason that that happens, there's this side of Jesus that's so kind and so compassionate and so good. And, and I, think, I think another problem, the reason that this has happened this way is Christians, we only, it, it, it's, it, we only highlight that side of Jesus. And so Jesus seems soft, but Jesus had a lot of hard sayings. He had this one saying, he's like, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. You know, like there's one point in time he's like, I came, I came to pick a fight. The incarnation is, yes, ultimately driven by love, but he's going to do it by fighting and dying on a cross for us. There's teeth to that, right? But there's this one verse, and this isn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, it doesn't overlay directly. Into, Jesus isn't talking about what we're talking about. He's actually about to send out his disciples. And um, he's like, I want, you to, I want you to go out and preach in my name. I'm not going to come with you. I mean, I'm going to be right here, but I want you to go and, and, and preach. And he was like, it was good leadership, right? Like there's that, you know, that old leadership axiom where it's like, hey, watch me do something. You know, I'm going to do something. You watch. And then and now we're going to do it together. And then you go do it and I'll watch. And then eventually you're going to go do it on your own. Jesus was very mindful of that in the three years of ministry. He's like, I know I'm not going to be here for forever. So actually what I'm going to do is like, you've, you've watched me do a lot. Now I want to send you out to do it because there's going to be a time where you're doing it. I'm, not, I'm out. I'm not here. And they didn't know that. He'd even try to tell them that. And they're like, uh-uh, that's not true. Why? Because that's what we do. We push against God. No, that can't be right. And he's like, it's okay. I'll, I'll roll with you on that. So it's during that time where Jesus is about to send his disciples out, he says this, and this, he gives them this kind of this, this axiom or this, this analogy of like, hey, as you go out, you're going to have to balance some things. Like, as you go out, just because you're in my name and my name has power and you're going to be able to cast out demons and heal people and, and make the world a better place, I want you to know it's not going to be all roses and daisies and you know, this really easy path. There's no, you know, golden road, yellow brick road going to take you. It's going to be, you're going to have to, re, you're going to have to think. And he says this in the midst of sending him out. He says this in Matthew 16, 10, 10, chapter 10, verse 16. He says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Like, like you guys, you guys, I know you're excited. Like you probably saw excitement in their eyes. Like we can do this. Like we'll go out in your name. We'll do cool things. He's like, I need you to know I'm sending you out like sheep and there's wolves out there. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and yet as innocent as doves. Do you see this juxtaposing imagery? It, shrewd as, I want you to be like a snake. It, it, what's crazy is anytime the snake is used as a symbol or an image, in scripture almost exclusively except for this passage it's evil it's the devil who who is the who is the being that that um that lied and, and got adam and eve to do something it was the serpent right he's like i want you to be like the serpent because i'm sending you out among wolves you are sheep but there are wolves out there so you need to be careful you need to and this is this is what's important 
you need to be on your guard in the world. Therefore, be as shrewd as a snake. But as you're shrewd as a snake, don't be a snake. Don't be evil. Don't just bite people. You know, you're going to run into people who, who, who are mad at you and, and they'll, they'll do bad things against you. Don't just bite them because that's like a snake might do that. I want you to be as innocent as a dove. And do you see this? This two sides of things? I don't want you to be a, just a snake. But you also can't just be a dove. You'll get chewed up and sped out. I want you to be the balance of the two. Be on your guard, he says, as he sends out his disciples. And see, here's, here's what I think. Here's, here's what I think people of faith, true faith, do. There are people who are on their guard. They're not people who just believe whatever is told them. That is not what it means to be a person of faith. On the contrary, they're not so skeptical that they, they don't believe anything. They believe something. They have some faith. They, they're not sure about something, but they, they're not sure about whether God's real this way or that, but they believe in God. And so there's both sides. And put that next slide up. So the, the, I, the, I'm, I, I would propose that people of faith, that if you want to be a person of faith, you've got to find yourself in what's called the Goldilocks zone. When it comes to our, our, our approach to things, if you, it, we have to be balanced people. And you're, we'll find ourselves in this, this type of Goldilocks zone. You know what a Goldilocks zone is? So I've often heard it used that the, the Earth is in a Goldilocks zone in our solar system. What's the next planet closer to the sun? Is it Mercury? Venus. Venus is uninhabitable because it's so hot, right? Like it, it, it's like it, because it's that much closer to the sun, it's so hot we can't live there just like we, you know, you're going to walk out the door and not even think about being outside. You're being burned by the sun, right? Likewise, the next closest one behind us is Mars, right? And Mars is actually, like, we know, we've been learning a lot about Mars because we're hopefully going there soon. It's freezing because it's further away from the sun. So the Earth is in the Goldilocks zone where it's not too, not too hot and not too cold. It's just right. There you go. When it comes to faith, the Goldilocks zone is neither a cynic nor gullible. We're, we're neither fully skeptics, nor fully believing everything that we hear. And somewhere in the middle is this, this, this place where we find, where we can be, uh, we're, we're on our guard because we don't believe everything we hear. But at the same time, we're open to the idea that there is God, and we're, but we're not gullible. We're not so overly skeptical that, that God could never be real because he won't fit into my, my paradigm. We, in a sense, let God be God. That's where the people of faith find themselves, is in this Goldilocks zone. See, and then, see on, on both sides, on the skeptical side, there's pitfalls. Both, both, neither side leads to where we want them to go. Someone who's highly skeptical throws stones at people who are, who are gullible. They're like, hey, something's written on the ceiling. It's, the gullible's written on the ceiling. Like, what? See, you know, like, those jokes. 
And then the gullible side, they're like, well, you won't believe anything. I believe, I, I'm just, I believe, I just believe, you know, I let go and let God. I hate that phrase, man. I hate it so much. You know, it just, it, we can't believe everything. I, I, this story, I've told this before. I love this story so much. My buddy Mike was uh, working at a camp in California. And um, California, this part of California, Central Coast, Northern California, up the coast is kind of like a hotbed for the Bigfoot believers. Uh, a lot of, it's like kind of where that was born and stuff. And next to this camp is this Bigfoot museum. And Mike, just being, he's just like this classically kind of gregarious guy. He's like, well, I've got to go see about this. And he's, he walks in, meets this guy, and this guy's like a classic mainstay staple in this town. It's a small town in California, and, and everybody knows the Bigfoot guy. He believes in Bigfoot, and he's got this big map up on the wall that's got all of these pin drops of, of sightings, Bigfoot sightings. And it's just riddled. The, it's like the United States or like the state of California, I can't remember which was, but there's just pin drops everywhere of, of Bigfoot sightings. See, proof, right? So Mike's, uh, he's working at this camp and he's leading a, a tour for students. And um, it, was like a, it was like an outdoor lab type camp. And he's, you know, they're walking through the tr on this trail, nature trail, like, oh, look at this big redwood tree and look at this over here. And they find a dead deer, uh, this deer that had been killed by something, presumably like a mountain lion, you know. And, uh, and, and Mike, you know, they, they think that's cool. Like, they talk about the science behind that. And then afterwards, Mike's like, I wonder what my Bigfoot buddy would think about that. So he goes over to the museum, and he's like, hey, man, guess what I found in the woods the other day? A dead deer. And the guy, I kid you not, he goes like this. He's like, show me where on the map. <laughs> and they go over to the map. And he's, and he's like, oh, the camp's here, so it'd be like right over, right there. And the guy picks up a pin from a tray of pins and puts a, a Bigfoot sighting on the map. Don't be like that. <laughs> like, that's gullible, right? But let's, let's pause for a second here. Can I just, just just because, just you know, we're friends, right? We as Christians, we do that kind of crap sometimes. I grew up in a church that was a little bit more fundamental a little bit more like like basically any type of evidence that that was brought up to to further our cause as believers we would just latch onto glom onto and be like see that's right about the dinosaurs that's right about politics that's right about this timeline and ancient whatever that's right about the flood that's right about like we anything anything that supported our cause as evidence we'd put a pin in the map we can't do that. Because here, if, if we're on the gullible side, there's people over here on the skeptical side saying, see, that's why I'm over here. Because y'all nuts. Right? If we want to be a, the people, if, we, if the church in the next generation, because this is what's going to happen. I'm really on a soapbox right now. But listen, like, like if, if, our, if we want the church to have any type of influence in this coming generation that's increasingly less church and more uh, post-Christian, we got to stop doing that crap. We can't be gullible. We need to be a little more shrewd. We need to be shrewd as snakes when it comes to saying, see, this is why we believe. 
And some of us need to actually like go back and revisit some of what we believe. Some of us are in faith crises right now because what we were handed was a bunch of map, pins on the map. And now we're like, is that true? We grew up. We got a little older. We got a little wiser. And we're like, is, do I really believe this? And students, you need to hear this too. Every faith that's lived out is a version of faith. It, 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 we, we think that it's the faith or it's orthodoxy or it's, it's based in the truth. And the reality is there's a lens, there's a bias, there's something we see that isn't quite true. And here, students, you, you are, you're being handed one right now by me, by your parents. And, and as a younger generation, as you come up, you're going to look back on the, uh, the older generation. The older generation is going to have some crap, some things that they believe that they put la layers on top of faith that aren't actually faith. But they taint the faith, and you are going to have to deconstruct that. This is a very, like, very big term right now within, um, within spirituality is deconstruction. Is this idea of like, no, I, I, I had to deconstruct what was handed to me. And, and the reality, I, I, I read a ton of deconstruction stories and deconversion stories. I'm fascinated by them. People who had faith, and it could be Christian faith, it could be Scientology, it could be Mormon faith, it could be anything. I read a lot of, of those kind of stories. And what I found is, is like, th there's this big push right now, like, deconstruction is really cool. Or you were handed something, take it apart. And if you need to kick back to the curb, good for you. And the reality is, is what, our, 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 all of our faiths come into question. We, we, come in, we, we, we come against things that were like, I was raised to believe this, or I thought this was true. Maybe it isn't. And then we have to, we have to uh, wrestle with the fact, do we throw the baby out with the bathwater? Which brings us to the other side of skepticism. And here's why skepticism, see, see, if you're on the skeptical side, you know everybody can see why gullibility is so bad. Dude, speaking of gullibility, this is so funny. I just read a story last night. We, re uh, we watched uh, Ocean's Eleven last night, one of my favorite. I just love con movies. And I, was like, I was Googling like real-life cons. There was a guy in the 1800s, kid you not, made up a country in South America and sold government bonds for it to the tune of like $12 million. This guy was like a, like, like a billionaire in today's dollars. People were suckers. That, that's rule number three in the Donov household, by the way, is, hey, the world's full of suckers. Don't be one. <laughs> he, there was people from England boarding boats to move to this country in South America that didn't exist. He was that convincing. See, and if you're a skeptic, you're like, not me. Nope, that will never happen to me. And I'll never believe any of this wishy-washy stuff unless I see something. And, and here's the thing. You think you're safe. Both sides, both sides, remember I said, both sides lead to where you don't want to go. You think you're safe on the skeptic side, but here's the thing. You can be so skeptical that you miss the truth. Like, yes, your skepticism keeps you from believing lies, but if your skepticism is so strong, you might not, you might go completely past the truth. How can you prove that's true? How can you prove that's true? You can go around saying that your whole life, and that's not going to take you to where you want to go. How can I believe that's true? It's like this. Imagine a guy who had a bad experience with a doctor. 
and as a result of a bad experience with a doctor, writes off the whole medical field, the whole medical profession. Never goes to the doctor again. Guess what will never happen to that guy? He will never be malpracticed on again. But you know what else might happen to that guy? He might die of something really dumb. You know, he might die of something that penicillin would have taken care of. And see, that's what, it, when it comes to our minds and our brains and our intellect and our, our, our perspectives, our philosophies in the world, we need to be in the Goldilocks zone. If, 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 if in a lot of areas of life, but when it comes to faith, we need to find ourselves in the Goldilocks zone where we are neither cynics or, nor pure skeptics and we're also not gullible. We're, we're not so, so skeptical that we are just not open to God being able to do it. There's no category where God could show up in our lives. And also not so gullible that we believe everything that we hear and therefore end up hurt and broken and, and, and part of you know, deceit and, and things that are harmful. People of faith find themselves in the balance, in the Goldilocks zone. And see, when it comes to the incarnation, when it comes to looking at Jesus, are you open enough to hear what Jesus has to say through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Are, are you open enough to, to even step in and look at what he's about, what he had to say? And the reason, and you might even be skeptical, like, can I believe in the Bible and the, 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 the New Testament? Is it true? And I, I could, you and I could sit down and coffee, and I can tell you a lot of crazy cool things that, of, of the authenticity and the historicity of the New Testament. I thought about, actually, I thought about preaching about that today, and I was like, nah, that's not what I want to talk about. But as believers, there's a reason we believe in the authenticity of these things. But God, does God even have a voice, a platform, a category that he could work in your life? What side do you fall on? You're on the gullible side or are you on the skeptical side? It's good to know which side you're on. This is how I want to end. This is out of Hebrews. Hebrews talks a lot about faith. And it's written to a group of people that were probably struggling to keep the faith. That You kind of pick that up when you read the book. It's actually not a book. It's a letter or a sermon that somebody like wrote down and, and gave to Hebrews to people who were of Jewish descent. Like, hey, guys, this is for you. In Hebrews 11, and we don't have this, but I'll just read it. The author says this. Now, faith, here's what faith is. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about we do not see. It, it's something, faith is this. It's something we hope for, meaning we're, we're not sure if it's true. If we were sure if it's true, it wouldn't require faith, right? We're just like, no, it, we, the sky's blue because of this and that. And we, we know there, that there's no faith in, in, in the belief that the sky is blue or that the gravity works. Like, it's just there. But faith is this. It's assurance. It's confidence that what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. 
And he says, this is what the ancients were commended for. He's like, the people of faith, he's, he's asking the same question we're asking this morning. Like, what, what is it about the people of faith that made it? How did they even have faith? He's like, this is what they were commended for. They had faith in what they, didn't, they couldn't see. It wasn't blind faith. Abraham had a reason to go where he was going and following God there. But he had no assurance that it would work out. And that's it. He, he stepped forward in faith. And then he goes on and he talks about Abraham. He talks to Abel, Enoch, Noah. And then he says this phrase right here. This is so good. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. So, so for the person who's just like, yeah, why doesn't God do more? Here's probably the reason why. I think there's actually a few reasons. We talked about last week with a couple. This week, I think the reason why God doesn't do more is he doesn't want to rob us of the, the opportunity to have assurance of something we don't see to have confidence in something we don't see, to actually express faith. There's something about faith that he just loves. There's just something about you and me as skeptics or people who are gullible or wherever we fall on the spectrum, finding ourselves in the middle and being like, no, I, 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 I look around and I think the best way forward is to believe you. And there's something about faith in, in Hebrews put it so this way, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him, they must believe in him and believe that he exists. And he rewards those who seek him earnestly. See the balance there? Anybody, anyone who co must come to God, must, they must believe that he exists. They must have faith, that, like, like, like be open to the, the possibility that he exists. But not only that, they also need to seek him. They need to do something to go toward him. And that's where I want to end it for you this morning, is what do you need to do? We asked the first week, what, what, you know, it, it, at this point in time, what would grow your faith in God right now, or your belief in God right now? My question for you today is, what, what might you be able to do to seek him out, to give him a chance? To, 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 and, and I'm talking to the believer and the person who's not sure what, if they believe or not, because we all have doubts. What would it mean for you to take steps towards those doubts, to seek out the answer, not just sit there and be like, I don't know, I just doubt. Just be firmly in that skeptical category, like, I just don't get it. You ever, how many parents are in there? You ever your, your kids do that before? You're like, like, you're like you try to explain something. Like, I just don't get it. It's like they find that little bit of control, that, oh, I've got power right now by not getting it, you know? Let's not be like children. Let's not be childish. If there's a God of the universe, wouldn't that have incredible, incredible implications for our lives, potentially? If it's a God of the universe that wants us to be part of his story, that loves us, that, did, that took the time to become like us in the incarnation, isn't that worth taking a step towards? And what would that step look like for you? Is it reading the New Testament with, with an open idea, an open mind? Is it, is it thinking about things that you've wrestled with for a while with, and wrestling with people who've probably wrestled with it and, and seeing what they have to say? Heaven forbid, maybe it's reading a book 
There's so many good books out there. Uh, one, The Reason for God by Timothy Keller is a classic. It's so cool how he explains, like, this is, he's like, yeah, I'm a person of faith, but this is why I believe. What is it for you? And what during this Christmas time where we, we celebrate God coming to be with us, to show himself, what might, what of him, what that's new, might you be able to learn even in the next couple weeks if you're open to it? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy, for your kindness towards us. Lord, you know right where all of us are at. I mean, and, and we, we believe that you know our hearts. And I pray that right now you would meet us where we're at. Um, that you would show yourself to us. But even if you don't show yourself to us in, in you know, the next couple days this week, couple weeks, Lord, that we might be people, even if we're skeptical, that we would be people who would seek you out. And at least get to the bottom, give you another chance to show yourselves. I pray that our hearts would not be calloused. They would not be hardened. Um, but Lord, I, I pray that we'd be able to take steps towards you no matter where we're at or what that looks like, that we'd be people who both believe and seek. I pray all this in your name. Amen.